God is good? All the time. time. And it is a powerful name. The word of the Lord says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And uh, that name, who he is, man, one day we're going to see him face to face. How awesome is that going to be? Man. Uh, I got a little toy with me today. I got special permission to bring this toy with me. Um, Some of y'all are probably familiar with this. Um, these little Lego pieces. Um, I asked Ethan if I could borrow a few of them. And uh, Ethan, ever since he was little, loved puzzles. Uh, his favorite, you know, growing up was putting the, the pieces in through the holes that went into the bucket and then, you know, doing that over and over again. And when he was younger, we bought him some styrofoam wood blocks and he would build stuff. And I was so excited when he got to about the age of three, got him his first lego set and ever since he's been hooked on legos and i gotta admit i like them too they're they're i mean i could probably sit here all day and just talk and fiddle with them right now but um he's got if you if you come to our house and you're welcome to swing by um we could show you his room he's got legos everywhere to the point that sometimes drives jamie and i nuts because you know we don't want to vacuum them up because these these suckers are expensive, and so I mean that's like I'm I'm holding Lego money right in my hands right now, um, but he's got things that are built and he's got like hundreds of these pieces come together and, and building these structures and vehicles and got Lego men and and then he's he's got tubs just of Lego pieces. Um, which we try to categorize into color and things like that. And, and then he's got a tub just of pieces that he just digs through. And, and so these are the ones, the ones that were in the tubs that weren't forming anything or what I've got permission to bring to you today. Um, he didn't want me to bring um, his cop house, which is like his favorite. Like when we moved, um, the Legos got to ride in the, in the cab of the truck or in the front seat of the car because that was all he was really worried about. You know, how are my Legos going to get there? And so... Um, but these Legos are so cool because um, you can build just about anything. And, and I'm all right. I, I like spending time with Ethan. We bought him that cop house several years back. It was like the wow Christmas gift. And uh, so we opened it, and it came in this, this box. One box, but when you open the box, you found out there's like 10 bags in it, and they're all with little pieces, and they all form together. So you've got like this two-story structure, and there's two pieces, and they eventually come together and form this this cop house that you can play with in and out. And right now, I don't even know if he plays with it anymore, but you can't touch it. Um, so it's like it's museum Lego at this point in time. And uh, I, I remember when we got him that, uh, it was Christmas, and so the day he opened it, me and him spent from the morning he opened it, uh, taking break for breakfast and lunch, um, all the way up almost till dinner to get that thing built. And it was just an awesome day spending with Ethan. And I was just, I had the job of just finding the pieces and handing him the pieces and say, here you go. And, and he built it. Um, but every now and then I'll go and sit in his room and, and he'll just kind of, he's just kind of fiddling around with them now and. He'll ask me, you know, after he acknowledges that I'm in the room. Parents, you know how that works sometimes, right? Uh, Daddy, you want to build with me? I'm like, yeah, sure, yeah. So he'll give me the tub of miscellaneous Legos, and uh, he'll, he'll start digging in and, and pulling out pieces, and I'll start pulling out pieces, and, and I'll be looking and trying to find specific pieces because I finally figure out what I want to build. That's the first thing you have to figure out. What are you going to build? And as I start putting them together... Um, he'll go, look, Daddy, I'm done. And he'll have like this fort, and I've got like a Lego log, you know, and, and this is what I did, Ethan. And, and, and 
he's really, I, I'll just brag on my kid because I can because I have the microphone right now. Um, he's, really, he's really good at these things. But one thing I've learned in spending time with Ethan and building Legos is no matter what it is, whether it's a, a building, a vehicle, or even just a, a figure of some sort, it's got to start with a good foundation. Because Ethan has built Legos before, sometimes using books and, and sometimes just out of his mind, and it hasn't had a good foundation. And so when uh, little Abby or our little puppy runs into the room or something gets bumped the wrong way, the Legos crumble and they fall. And it really makes him upset because he spends all that time. And I remember uh, just a couple uh, months ago, we were building a set together, and he couldn't get this thing to look the way it was supposed to look, and he couldn't figure out what was wrong. And, and the issue was there was a, a part in his foundation that was in the wrong place. And so that's why it wouldn't connect and wouldn't open up the way it was supposed to open up because there was just, it was just one little piece that was throwing the whole thing off that wouldn't make it complete. When it comes to our life, it's all about having the right foundations. And much like Lego sets, if we have the wrong foundations, when storms come in life, we're going to crumble and we're going to get frustrated and we're not going to be able to figure out why is this happening the way it's happening and why am I going through this the way I'm going through it. The Bible never promises, and we really need to hear this because there is a false gospel out there called the prosperity gospel. The Bible never promises that you will not have hard times in life. Matter of fact, if you look in the, the first writings uh, to the early believers, it was to have joy in the midst of trials, have joy in the midst of persecution, and to persevere and to have hope despite your situation, your circumstances. So you're going to have storms. Matter of fact, the, the, the theme passage for this whole series, we never start this new series called Foundations, comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. If you want to make your way there, just real quick, we're just going to spend just a, a few moments here, and then we're going to jump into our first part of this series. In Matthew, chapter 5, through chapter 7, Jesus is teaching what has become known as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, he is... Dealing with the Word of God, the law of God, a lot of stuff in the Old Testament. As the Jewish people are, are doing their best to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God, and what, what happens here in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 is Jesus takes the law of God, he takes this living a life that is holy and pleasing to God, living a life that is separated from this world, and he expounds on it and gives clarity to it. Now, not everything you read in this is, is easy to hear or easy to live out. One of the statements Jesus makes is that you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, you know, there's something we can all attain to. So if you ever think you got it all together, just go to that verse and like, ah, so close. Um, but when he comes to the end of this Sermon on the Mount, and uh, in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, he wraps it all up in what we would call a parable. And Jesus was known for telling parables. They were stories uh, with spiritual implications. And the parable that he gives his concluding statement to all this uh, opening of God's Word is this found in verse 24 of chapter 7 of Matthew. He says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, 
because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them would be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And just, just for a moment here, I want us to see some similarities that are going on. Jesus is, is teaching to a crowd that is gathered around him on this, this hilltop or this mount, and, and he brings this concluding statement. All of them are hearing it, and what we can apply today is that um, the similarities is both individuals, both builders in this parable, hear the Word of God. They hear God speaking to their hearts. They, they see God proclaiming His glory all around them in, in, in creation, so they're aware that there is something greater than themselves, and they hear God trying to speak to their hearts. So they both have the same, the same level playing field. The difference is, is what the builders do with the word of God in which they've heard. The one who builds his house upon the rock, he not only hears it, but he does it. What that means is he applies it. He doesn't just gain biblical knowledge or head knowledge or a deep theology. He doesn't just rattle off scripture. He doesn't uh, say, you know, this is what God says to do, but he applies it to himself or to herself. Whereas the builder who built his house upon the sand, he also heard the word of God, but what doesn't he do? He doesn't do it. He doesn't apply it. He takes it as, well, that works for you, doesn't work for me, or that, that's nice to hear, or that's a good theology, that's a good thought, and it sounds accurate, it sounds like truth, but it just hears it and doesn't live it out in his life. And this is where a lot of people have found, found themselves in the messes they are in. This is where I find myself when I get myself in a mess, is that I know what God says, but I'm not living out what God says. I'm not applying it. And Jesus says very specifically here that the individual living by the word of God, which would be deemed the righteous individual, he is going to go through storms. Do you notice the same similarity? The winds came, the rains blew, they beat against the house. Both of them went through difficult times. We are going to go through storms in life. There are going to be moments that are going to surprise you. There are going to be moments that you did not expect. There are going to be moments that you're going to like, what is going on? Those times are going to happen. That's, that's life. Would we all agree with that? That's just life. God never promises that it's going to be rainbows and lollipops from here on out. You're going to go through storms. But what storms reveal if we let them is they reveal where we've actually built our beliefs and our convictions and what we're actually trusting in, and whether that is the Word of God, the rock, or something of this world. So foundations get tested when storms of life come about, when we deal with death, when we deal with illness, we deal with a loss of a job or any sort of loss in our life, when we deal with those lack of understandings. Those are storms, and they show us, or meant to show us, what we're actually trusting in what we're laying our convictions upon. So for this series, what we're doing, for the next seven weeks, is we're going to be looking at some foundational things that we as God's people should not only understand, not just hear them. See, everybody hears it, but to apply it. Because the danger is, is we just build up a bunch of head knowledge about God. We know things about God, but we don't actually know God. There's a lot of people in this world, and I've had many conversations where they can tell me a lot of stuff about God, but they don't actually know God. 
Remember this last week, a lot of us probably saw the changing of our presidents. And you could probably tell me a lot of things either about Barack Obama or Donald Trump. You, you know stuff about them. But do you know them? No. You know of them. You can rattle off stuff you found on the World Wide Web or Wikipedia, but it doesn't mean you know them. And the scary thought is there's a lot of people who are gathering churches maybe here today and churches all around this world, they know a lot of stuff about God. They have a really strong theological view. They have a strong doctrinal stance. They know stuff, but they're not applying it, which means they don't actually know it. For example, uh, if you take a coach and he's going to go train his team and go to practice. Um, I grew up enjoying football, so football was something I loved to do. And so we go to practice, and, and we would learn offense, and you learn defense. Most teams have offense and defense. And what you do at practice is you do what can be considered mundane, that you go through each and every drill or each and every play, and you run it to the co way the coach likes, right? So they got the X's and O's and drawn all out. Vince Lombardi was the best at specifics and just getting it down to the very detail. You're going to open this lane and open this lane, and you're going to run right here, and this is how it's supposed to work if everybody just does their job. So if you're a coach and you're, you're training and teaching the team to run this play, and as you're going through practice, they're doing it. It's working. Everything looks great. And so you're like, okay, we're ready for the game. We're ready to run this play. But then you get to the game. You get to the point where you're actually supposed to apply what you've been practicing and learning. And you get to the game, and instead of the players doing what you've been practicing, they just go and do whatever. What sort of things are going to happen? Chaos. And what's the coach most likely going to do? Right? <laughs> well, see, that's what we do a lot of times is we gather to church and we learn about God. We get in our little spiritual huddles. And then when we go out in the world, we're supposed to apply what God has been teaching us, what we've been learning. But a lot of times we, we learn the plays. We know what we should do. And we get out there and it just becomes what? Chaos. Because just because we know it doesn't mean we've actually built our life on the foundation of it. You have to apply it. And so we're going to look at several things for the next several weeks. And this morning, um, we're going to spend our time focused on one verse. So if you want to go to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, that's what Genesis means, is beginnings. Very first book of the Bible. We're going to be in the very first chapter of the Bible. And we're going to look at the very first verse of the Bible. This is all we're going to do for the next couple minutes. One verse. Because there are seven statements we can take from this one verse and three reminders that we can learn and take out in this world today. Okay? Before you freak out, ten-point sermon. Holy cow. Just relax. We'll, it's going to go pretty quickly. But Genesis 1.1 is the book of beginnings. We all have to start with this baseline, which I think we're all here, or at least learning, is that the Word of God is God's Word. It is it is truthful, it is complete, it is accurate, it is, it is what God intended for us to hear from Him speaking from the heavens, okay? We're learning more about that on Wednesday nights. I encourage you to come out if you want to be a part of that. But in Genesis 1-1, you may have this verse memorized. Um, you may not even need to turn to it. But here's what we read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you look at that verse in the English, and most translations have this, uh, or versions of the Bible have this translated the exact same words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
If you look at that and you count it out, you see that there are 10 words. And that's what we read in English. But one thing we need to understand is that the Bible was not originally written in English. Jesus did not speak English. Moses didn't speak English. Abraham, Adam probably didn't speak English as well. Um, Jesus spoke Aramaic. The New Testament is written in Greek, uh, transposed from, uh, translated into Latin, and then from Greek, and then also from Hebrew in the Old Testament. In the Hebrew, what we see here is not 10 words, but only seven Hebrew words. Now, numbers in, in the Bible have significance. There's not a Bible code, by the way, all right? <laughs> There's not a, there, everything is, is meant to be plain sight. We may not always understand it, but it's not something we go in there and figure out what the winning lottery number is going to be for this week. It's not there, so it's just rubbish. Anyway, seven words mean completeness and perfection. Now, if we take this into perspective, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. And so in the very first book of the Bible, the very first words that God wanted us to read as his people are wanting to know more about God is a complete and perfect statement. And what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Completely perfect. It's stating all things in which God did. It is a general statement at, at at first glance, stating everything God was going to do in the remainder of chapter 1 and into chapter 2, but there's also so much depth into what God is saying here. One thing God is stating just in this one statement in verse 1 is that it is a complete and perfect statement of God's power, authority, knowledge, understanding, providence, and love. And though this is a general statement about everything God was going to create in the act of creating all things, God took how many days to create? Six, trick question, there were seven days of creation, but God only created on how many days? Six. What did God do on the seventh day? He rested. He declared it a Sabbath. And, and many, um, well, some denominations still worship on the Sabbath. By the way, if you didn't know, Sunday's not the Sabbath. Saturday is the Sabbath. Sunday is the Lord's Day. Why don't we worship on the Sabbath, even though God commands us still to take a Sabbath? Um, you're still have, supposed to have a day of rest. Uh, we worship on the Lord's Day because that's what the New Testament uh, believers ultimately did. They gathered on the first day of the week, which is the Lord's Day, and they remembered what Jesus Christ did in coming out of the tomb. So the Sabbath was also set apart for God's people to remember what God did, not only in their life, but in all acts of redemption. In Genesis 1-1, when it says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, it is stating that God, in His powerful knowledge, uh, unmeasurable love, unfathomable love, created all things. Meaning He set everything into place perfectly as it was meant to be, even to the point that He knew how we would need the world to work in 2016. That is an awesome God. I can't even figure out what I need to do today to be ready for tomorrow. And yet God, when he created all things, he set all things into place so that you and I today would be able to survive and live. He provided all things that we would need. Even though we sometimes get tempted to think we need more, God's already given us everything we need to get through this day. So we turn to the New Testament and Jesus draws our attention to this truth. And all the things of this world that we can worry about and become anxious about, our clothes and what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, where we're going to live, all these things. You know what Jesus says? Don't worry about it. Instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Why? Because it will always stand. It has always stood. In the beginning, God was always there. 
It's also a cry to your hearts. It's a statement from the very opening of scriptures that God is coming after your heart. That's why it's not just about head knowledge. It's about heart application and heart knowledge. Some of my favorite stories when I was a little kid began with once upon a time. Now, who hasn't heard a story like that, right? Once upon a time. And then it got real weird about somebody in the woods taking children in. and Yeah, right? But once upon a time. And what do you do when you're a kid, when your parents sit down and start saying, once upon a time there was, you're locked in, aren't you? You ever told a kid a story and began that way? Once upon a time. They just did, they did lock. Why? Because it's grabbing your heartstrings and it grabs your kids' heartstrings. There's that world of imagination. It's that world of mystery that what could happen? You know, my, my kid's story today begins with a long time ago. In a galaxy far, far away, right? But George Lucas just took the same idea of once upon a time did in that it grabs your heart and it pulls you in. What's going to happen? When did this take place? Oh, it's a mystery and it's an adventure and, and it just captures us. This is what God does with in the beginning. Once upon a time, a long time ago, even though once upon a time and a long time ago have no time reference, God says in the beginning of what? Of all things. From the very beginning, God has been going after your heart. Even before you were born, God has been coming after your heart. He doesn't care about your wallet. He doesn't care about your bank account. He wants your heart. And once our hearts steer right with God, you know what begins to fall in place? We begin to see things the way God sees them. And some of the things that we get kind of crazy about, we understand that's really not a big, big deal because in the beginning, God, he set it all in the place. He had my heart and my life, my family in mind from the beginning. And if he was that thoughtful about me, I can trust him. But it goes on, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, who? God. You just stop right there. And that was the end of the sentence. What would it be telling us? In the beginning, God. What did it tell us? He was there. And he was the only one there. He was, he's always been, always will be. The God that calls out to our hearts to trust Him with the things going on in our life has always been there. But if you look in our world today, isn't this the one thing that is being attacked the most? God couldn't have created. Who created God? No one. Because if something created God, then that would be God because it would be more powerful than God. But that doesn't explain how everything is... Is, is here. I mean, wasn't there like a boom, right? <laughs> Didn't we like all come from like little fishies in the sea? Aren't we all related to monkeys? You see, when you take God out of the equation of being created, you take purpose out. And when you take purpose out, you take morals out. And when you take morals out, you take standards. And we can do whatever we want because it doesn't matter. There's no rules. There's no guidelines. But if there is a God, 
which the Bible says there is, then that means there are standards and there are rules and there are guidelines and you do have a purpose. It's not just to get through this day and hope everything works out for the best. You have a much grander purpose in life because in the beginning God created it. He set everything in place so we would have a purpose in life and it's not just to live and let live and then die one day and be buried. It's the grander scale to bring glory to the divine creator. In the beginning, God created all things. And when we begin to question and we begin to let our kids be impacted with questioning whether God actually created the way the Bible says created, we begin to strip away every other foundational thing that the Bible has. I can't tell my kid not to lie because that's God's standard. If God didn't create, then is that really a standard I should keep? I can't tell my kids, and I can't tell you, be nice to one another. Why? Because that's a God standard. And if God didn't create, then why should you live by that standard? I can't tell you not to steal, not to lie. I can't tell you to be an honest person, to treat people how you want to be treated. Why? Because those are God's standards. And if God didn't create, then those standards don't exist. But the funny things, atheists and agnostic alike believe in a set of morals, don't we? We believe you should treat people with respect. We, should, we believe you should be nice. We believe you shouldn't lie and you shouldn't cheat and you should be honest and you should be a good person. Now, we define what is good by different things, but we all have this moral standard already ingrained inside of us. No matter what background or family or culture we come from, no matter what belief we say we have, we all have some sort of moral. And why do we have that moral? It's because in the beginning, God. He created it. And since you and every person on this planet is made in His image, that's why we have morals. That's why we have standards. But when we take God out of the act of creating, we can question any moral or standard we ever had and just look at the news and see what's happening. That's what's going on in our world today. What's the root of it? It's this foundation. If there is no God, then we can do whatever we want. But if there is a God, then there's a standard. And there's a way we should be living. God says that He created it all, He sustains it all, and He provides for it all. And for some of us, this is a verse that we may already have memorized, and this is a verse we need to go to in our spiritual arsenal when we're going to go into the storms. Remember how we started Matthew 7? You're all going to go into storms. So when we get into those storms, this is a verse because it speaks that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God sustained it all. Out of nothing, He created it. I struggle with Legos, okay? God thought of the earth and the galaxies and the moons and the stars and put them all in place. He knows how they all work. He knows the hairs on your and my head or lack thereof, Right? Okay? And so he has it all in place. It's working perfectly the way he sought it to, to work out, and he sustains it, and he provides for it. And so when we get in these times of life, we're like, I don't know how we're going to get through this. I don't, I don't see how this is going to come to fruition. I don't see how this is going to be good. This is the verse right here, verse 1 of chapter 1 in the first book of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If God can do that, then God can take care of this. It's that simple. If God could provide for me thousands of years before I was even born, 
He could take care of this moment right now. What's interesting about this verse is God here in the original language is Elohim. Let's, let's have a little Hebrew. Elohim. You say it. Elohim. Try it again. Elohim. You got heartache. <laughs> like you're a cat hissing. <laughs> okay. Elohim. All right, that, that's the name we read as God in the original language of the Bible, is Elohim. What Elohim is interesting about is Elohim is written in the plural. So we read God in its singular name, but plural means many, right? And so Elohim in the Hebrew text is written in plural. Well, why would it be plural? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The word created, even though Elohim is, is plural, the word created is written in the singular tense of the Hebrew, which means that they acted as one in creating. So get this picture just in verse 1. God the Father, we read that right there. God, Almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, He's there. But also right here in Genesis 1, God the Son is there. Now why would Jesus Christ need to be in creation? Is because before sin came into this world, before God's perfect order and his will was disrupted by the, the mess that sin is, God already had salvation in mind. He already had redemption ready. John 1 talks about it. Colossians 1 talks about it. Jesus was there in the beginning because from the very beginning, as Willie Nelson says, you were always on his mind, Right? You were always on the mind of God. He knew you would be a mess. He knew you would sin. He knew you would fall. He knew you would struggle with perfection in the way he created things to be. And so from the very beginning, his son was ready to save you and me. Praise the Lord. But it also speaks about the Spirit. Verse 2 of Genesis 1 says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So not only was Jesus there in the beginning, which Scripture testifies, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God was there. Now why is that important? Because when we come to faith that God, in fact, loves me, which Genesis 1 screams, He loves me, He is for me, not against me, that, and I place my faith in Jesus Christ, that He mended the, the sin problem I had with God. He fixed that bridge and that separation that I'm now given the Spirit of God to dwell inside of me. And you know what the Spirit does? He intercedes for me. So if you look in, the end of, or in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, what you find is God created man and woman in His image to be image bearers of His glory, but sin comes in and disrupts it all. 